Shalom and welcome to the Jewish mind where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. This lecture is called Spirituality Reincarnated Bringing Internal Peace to Our Spirituality. The modern issue to be dealt with in this lecture is when spirituality doesn't bring us inner peace and fulfillment. People turn to spirituality for inner peace and fulfillment. Something deep within us knows that our, that our pursuit for happiness will never be fulfilled in just the physical realm of our being alone. Inner peace and fulfillment demands wholesomeness in our pursuit and our wholesomeness can only be achieved through embracing both dimensions of our being, our soul and our body, our physical and our spiritual. When we are overly absorbed in just our physical pursuits, we feel emptiness, and thus we turn to spirituality for inner peace and fulfillment. The question we need to ask is, what should we do when spirituality doesn't bring us the inner peace and fulfillment that we seek for? which then leads us to the question of why would spirituality not bring us inner peace and fulfillment? Isn't that the missing link in our life in fulfilling the purpose of why we are here? But then again, didn't our soul have all the spirituality it could have asked for when it was in heaven before it descended into this world when we were each born? Well then, obviously our soul in heaven was in pursuit for happiness, inner peace, and fulfillment, and came here to find it. In this lecture, we will explore the soul's pursuit for happiness and fulfillment, and why it reincarnated itself on earth again within our present life to find it. Most importantly, we will discover how to help our soul achieve its fulfillment in our present reincarnation. Quite often, when I mention reincarnation in any of my classes, people ask me with great surprise whether Judaism believes in reincarnation. The answer is that yes, Judaism does believe in reincarnation and the teachings of Judaism is filled with it. This week's Torah portion is called Pinchas and it opens with speaking about Pinchas, the son of Elazar, who was the son of Aaron, the high priest. One of the most famous reincarnations mentioned in the teachings of our sages is that Elijah the prophet is a reincarnation of Pinchas. He is Pinchas, he is Elijah, is what our sages say. However, a less known reincarnation is that Pinchas himself was the reincarnation of his paternal uncles Nadav and Avihu. Another famous reincarnation, for example, is found in our Passover Seder's Haggadah. We read that the sage Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah said, I am as a 70-year-old man, when he was actually only 18 years old at the time. However, Rabbi Eliezer was the reincarnation of Samuel the prophet, who lived for 52 years. Go ahead, do the math. His soul lived on earth as Samuel the prophet for 52 years and was then living on earth as Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah so far as 18 years, which means that in total, Rabbi Eliezer's soul 
was as a 70-year-old man. What is the Jewish view on reincarnation and why does reincarnation happen? Reincarnation has been taught as a way of tikkun, soul correction, as in when a person needs to correct a wrong that he did in a past life. Rabbi Isaac Luria, the Arizal, also known as the Ari HaKadosh, teaches that most of reincarnation is hidden in the Torah portion of Mishpatim, which is the primary portion which gives us the commandments of civil law. And he explains that much of reincarnation is about the soul righting a civil wrong, wrong that he did to another person. Our sages tell us that God showed Moses a scene that was to happen in the future, in which a rich man is traveling and comes across a river, at which when he bent down to take a drink and wash his face, his money bag fell out of his robe unnoticed by him. Later, a poor man came upon this very same spot at the river, found the money bag, and happily left with it. Yet later, a rabbi came along to the very same spot at the river. At the time, the original rich man returned for his lost money bag. The rich man became convinced that the rabbi found his money bag but was refusing to return it and began beating the rabbi. Moses, upon seeing the scene, questioned the justice of what he saw. In response to his question, God showed him another scene of where the rich man, the poor man, and the rabbi were living together in a previous lifetime. The poor man had brought the rich man to a court case before the rabbi over a disputed amount of money that the rich man owed the poor man for work that the poor man had done for the rich man. The rabbi was afraid to correctly rule in favor of the poor man, lest he get the rich man angry, and the rabbi instead ruled incorrectly in favor of the rich man. God explained to Moses that the first scene that he saw was the correction that had happened in these three people's lives, and thus the poor man received from the rich man the exact amount of money that was owed to him in the previous lifetime, and the rabbi received his soul correction from the rich man who the rabbi had wronged by ruling incorrectly in his favor. And this is the secret of reincarnation as it is hidden in the Torah portion of civil law. However, reincarnation isn't always about correcting a past wrong. Sometimes it is just different legs of a whole journey which was originally set to take more than one lifetime. Other times it is simply a soul who already fulfilled its journey on this earth who is willing to return to this world in order to help another or to save a Jewish community in its time of despair and danger. There are many stories in the teachings that document such events. In whole, to understand the secret of reincarnation, one needs to understand that the center of the entire universe and of all creation, both terrestrial and celestial, both the physical realm and the spiritual realm, is our physical world, Earth, and our physical lifetime upon Earth. Once a soul leaves its physical lifetime here upon Earth, it has left the center of the universe.
which is the only place in creation where freedom of choice exists and where our choices change destiny. Thus, when a soul wants to accomplish its destiny and when it wants to have an impact upon the universe's destiny, it must descend into a body here on earth. Yes, the holy souls of the righteous and of our parents up in heaven pray for us down here on earth, and the holy Zohar states that if not for their prayers, we would not be able to survive our challenges. However, while their prayers empower us to be able to make a difference, nevertheless, without us actually physically making the difference while we are physically alive upon earth, no difference will be made. Thus, the secret of incarnation is about a soul making a difference in its own situation or in the situation of another. The next introduction I have discussed in previous lectures and it is about the dual flow that God has placed within creation. The dual flow is called ebb and flow and in the teachings it is called Ratsui Vishu. In the fundamental form of life it is the dual flow of the heart's pumping bringing blood back in to be reoxygenated and sending the blood out to give the, the oxygen to the body's cells. In a flame, it is the dual flow, flow of the flame consistently jumping off its wick and returning to its wick. And in the soul's experience, it is the soul's yearning to return into the bosom of its creator, God, and it's returning back to where it is to fulfill God's will and the purpose that God has placed within the soul's fulfillment. In practical life, this dual flow is our inner yearning for isolation within spirituality and our assimilation within society to be of God's service to others. What is clear in the teachings is that the flow in returning from our own yearning to fulfill God's will and purpose for us, there is more humility than there is in our ebb. However, without experiencing the sacrifice of physical pleasures in order to experience the ebb and its spiritually rejuvenating powers, we will not be able, we would not be able to perform the flow. Thus together, the dual flow ebb and flow defines life and purpose. Another introduction is to understand the story of Nadav and Avihu, the sons of Aaron, the high priest, as it is told in the book of Exodus in its Torah portion called Shemini. On the eighth day of the inauguration of the tabernacle, Aaron, the brother of Moses, was installed as the high priest called the Kohen Gadol. On that day, Aaron had suffered a great loss and tragedy when two of his four sons, Nadav and Avihu, died while bringing foreign incense, which was not commanded by God, upon the altar. There are many insights amongst the sages of the Talmud upon what exact sin did Nadav and Avihu commit, which was punishable by death. The teachings of Hasidus find a common denominator between these different opinions as being the theme of Nadav and Avihu going too far in their ebb, reaching the point of no return in which their souls could no more be contained in their bodies and thus they died. 
This explains the mystical interpretation of the verses telling us the way they died, that a fire came forth from the altar, entered their nostrils, and they died without their bodies or even clothing being burnt or damaged at all. It was simply a death of the spark getting too close to its mother flame, in which the spark could not hold back anymore and was drawn into the bosom of its mother's flame. So it was that the soul, the spark of Nadav and Aviu, returned and could not contain itself no more, returning into the bosom of its mother flame, God. This is also why Moses refers to them as the chosen ones and the holy ones through which the tabernacle was sanctified. For their sin was a holy and spiritual sin in which they got too close to God and their death was not a punishment as much as it was the fulfillment of their most ardent desire for an absolute oneness with God. Nevertheless, what Nadav and Avil did created a lack of wholesomeness in their souls, for in the deepest core of the soul, the soul wants to fulfill God's will more than the soul even wants its own closeness to God. Therefore, Nadav's and Avihu's souls needed to experience a reincarnation to bring wholesomeness, inner peace, and fulfillment. And they both reincarnated themselves within their nephew Pinchas, who then, through his act of selfless self-sacrifice, brought the correction needed to the souls of his uncles. We will explain this in greater length and clarity later on. The last introduction is a difficult concept to digest. It explains the death of those who experience the sanctification of self-sacrifice. People who die in self-sacrifice, including those who are killed in terror attacks for no other reason than that they are Jewish, are called Kedoshim, holy ones. Now, I want to emphasize that in Judaism such a death is not glorified. Judaism is focused on living for God rather than dying for God. Nevertheless, when God, for reasons known only to Him, has willed such a death upon an individual, that individual's remains and his memory is treated with reverence. The question that I want to explain here is that if we just explain that God's will is in the flow, which is in remaining physically alive and to physically serve God with physical actions of goodness and kindness, and we explain that this is so much so that when Nadav and Avil neglected their flow for their ebb that they needed to be reincarnated for their soul's need for correction, then of what purpose can there be a situation in which self-sacrifice takes a life? It is really difficult to speak about this in fear that speaking about this can in any way, God forbid, justify within the human mind that dying for God is in any sense desirable. Judaism abhors human sacrifice. And nevertheless, against our people's will, throughout our history, up to present day, human sacrifice is forced upon us by terrorist groups, creating more Kedoshim, holy ones, against our desire 
and against what we as a Jewish nation stand for and believe in. However, it is in reverence of these Kedoshim that I will explain this concept. The ebb death of Nadav and Aviyu, as it is described in the Torah, is their pursuit of a spiritual yearning that totally neglected their body, their bodies. Their bodies did not participate. Their body, I'm sorry, their bodies did not participate in the sanctification and ultimate self-sacrifice to God. And therefore, their souls needed to have a correction and their souls lacked inner peace and wholesomeness because of what they did. The death of Jewish terror victims and of those who died in self-sacrifice throughout our history sanctified God's name against their will with the ultimate sacrifice of their body and not with just escapism of their soul. The souls leaving the body of the Kedoshim was not because of the soul's yearning, but of the totality of an absolute sacrifice of the body, in which there is no body left, capacity left to live on and house the soul anymore. Thus the wholesomeness and inner peace of the souls of the Kedoshim is of the greatest measure, in which the ultimate flow of the soul through the body's self-sacrifice is obtained in the ultimate measure of oneness with God. The depth, we need to explain this clearly, the depth behind this self-sacrifice is that were the Kedoshim to have brought this upon themselves through their own will, it would be considered despicable suicide. Only because as Jews they fought against the very notion of being a human sacrifice to God with every fiber of their being, that their death against their will is the ultimate sacrifice of their body accepting God's will and thus the ultimate experience of the soul's inner peace and selfless fulfillment in the flow of fulfilling God's will. May we never experience this the sanctification of God's name ever again. With this, we will understand what the Baal Shem Tov said concerning his choice of how to leave this world when his time came. The verse describes Elijah the prophet's passing as, and I quote the verse, and it was that they were going, the day is Elijah the prophet and his disciple Elisha, and it was that they were going, walking and talking, and behold a fiery chariot and fiery horses, and they separated, the, and they separated them both. And Elijah ascended to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah, that's the, that's the end of the quote of the verse. Elijah's body ascended to heaven in which it is held in a holding spot as explained in the teachings. The Baal Shem Tov said of himself that he could have experienced the same passing as Elijah the prophet did. But he chose not to because he wanted to fulfill the verse in Genesis which says, and I quote, For dust you are and to dust you will return. When I heard this, I wondered why the Baal Shem Tov wanted to fulfill this verse when it wasn't a commandment. Rather, it, w it was a verse of God's punishment to Adam for eating from the fruit of the tree of knowledge. However, from that which we have explained here, we can understand that for the body to ascend to heaven, the passing of the body is not a fulfillment of God's will. 
However, when the body returns to dust, the totality of the body is fulfilling a verse in the Torah. Thus, the Baal Shem Tov chose that when his time comes that he should forgo the miraculous ebb experience of Elijah's passing and in its stead to experience the flow experience of God's will. Let us now see the story of Pinchas as it is told in the Torah portion of last week and the reward of Pinchas as it is told in the Torah portion of this week. Bilam, after failing at cursing the Jewish people for King Balak, gave Balak advice on how to hurt the Jewish people. Bilam explained to Balak that their God hates immorality and idolatry and thus advised Balak to send the girls of his kingdom with little idols into the camp of the Jews to entice them sexually and at the moment of intense sexual desire to offer themselves to the Jews as if they would bow to their idol. Unfortunately, Balaam's evil plan worked and a plague broke out amongst the Jewish people as a, punish a punishment for what they were doing and 24,000 died. The lowest point was when Zimri, a prince of the tribe of Shimon, took Cosby, a princess of the Midianites, to sin with. The Jewish people then started to cry, realizing that the perversion has reached into their upper echelons. Prince Pinchas took a spear and went into the camp of Shimon to bring the matter to an end. Our sages explain the risk that Pinchas took by saying that according to Jewish law, Zimri's people could have and should have killed Pinchas, as he was not legally granted to take the princess's life. Zimri himself, a warrior, could have and should have protected himself from Pinchas, who had the law of a rodef, a man coming to commit murder. Thus, Pinchas subjected himself to self-sacrifice in order to restore the flow of decency and the flow of living by ending God's anger and plague amongst the Jewish people. When Pinchas killed Zimri and Cosby, the perversion and the plague taking the lives of the Jewish people ended. God then said, and I quote, Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron, the Kohen, has turned my anger away from the children of Israel by his zealously avenging me among them so that I did not destroy the children of Israel because of my zeal. Therefore, say, I hereby give him my covenant of peace. It shall be for him and for his descendants after him as a, an eternal covenant of Kehuna, because he was zealous for his God and atoned for the children of Israel. With all this explained, we can now understand the Holy Zohar's teaching that Pinchas was the reincarnation of his uncle's Nadav and Avil, and that through Pinchas' zealous act of self-sacrifice, he brought the souls of his uncles their needed correction, wholesomeness, inner peace, and fulfillment. Pinchas endangered his life for the sake of saving the physical lives of the Jewish people through stopping the plague. Pinchas endangered his life for the sake of the Jewish people to return to living in decency and faith. Pinchas was rewarded with God's covenant of peace. Everything in Pinchas' story was all about preserving the flow of living physically 
living in decency and living in peace. Thus, Pinchas achieved for the souls of his uncles their correction, inner peace, and wholesomeness. In closing, let's get practical about all this. All too often, we turn to spirituality as a form of escapism from our flow responsibility. And then we wonder why we, f we feel unfulfilled and with lack of inner peace. Our soul can never feel fulfilled through escapism. The answer to overindulgence in the rat race for power, fame, and wealth is not abstinence through spirituality. Rant rather, the answer is to experience the spirituality of the ebb in a way that it drives us back into the physical flow of acts of goodness and kindness rather than selfishness. This is why the Jewish experience of spirituality is to feed, clothe, and help the needy. This is why when a king was suffering from depression, his Jewish advisor told him to go out and physically feed the poor. And this is why one of the pillars of addiction recovery is service to others to simply help the newcomer and other suffering addicts. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. The Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.